to the We're Having a Good Time podcast. My name's Dusty Slay, and I'm here with my wife and co-host, Hannah Hogan. Hey, Dusty. All right, welcome, Hannah, back to studio. Uh, it's a, it's an exciting day. Uh, it's a Thursday, uh, so I guess we'll be getting this out a little later than what we'd like to do. Is it Thursday? It is Thursday. Yeah. But the week was off by a little bit because I had a big travel week, uh, and so now we're just getting in. I miss Nate Land this week. Uh, had a lot going on, but we're excited to be back. We're pumped to be here. Um, and um, uh, I don't know. I feel like I feel like in that intro, I was building up for something that that never was going to come. Mm, I did yeah. not have anything planned to come, but just the tone of my voice led me in the direction of this is building up for something. I'm let down. Yeah, yeah, but we're we're excited to be here. It's Thursday. I'm leaving a little later today. Uh, I'm flying. I'm taking a late flight out to California, uh, and I'm going to be uh, tomorrow. I'll be in uh, Corning, California, at um, a casino. All right. Uh, it's on my website. It's on on my you know dustyslay.com. If you're interested in that, earlier. Uh, the show they posted about two weeks ago and said the show was completely sold out. So I did no promotion of it because it was completely sold out. And then they were like, like, I don't know, a few days ago, they were like a few tickets left. And it's like, well, there are there tickets or are they not? Cause don't announce it's sold out if there's still tickets. Right. Cause that could deter people from attempting to buy tickets if they hear that it's sold out. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm sure there's some marketing scheme in there. I think they do something where they'll say sold out and then, uh, people get antsy about it and then they release some tickets. Mm-hmm. Someone somewhere knows what they're doing. Yeah. But I'm of the mindset, Hey, let's not announce it's sold out until it's sold out. Yeah, I'm of that mindset too. Like, for instance, though, my show in Atlanta and then Nate's show at Bridgetown, Bridgestone, they are, my show in Atlanta was sold out. His show in Bridgestone is sold out. But what they have left is single seats. And I had some of those too. Like if someone's willing to go to a show by themselves or if they're willing to go with someone else, just not sit together. There are seats available. I don't know if that's the case in California, but um, I'm excited to do the show. I'm not excited to fly all the way back across the country again. That's what I just did. I was just in Portland, Oregon. I did um, a Thursday, I did five shows, Thursday, Friday, Saturday at Helium in Portland. And I've already talked about this in the sense that, you know, I was... Uh, Portland did a lot for me from doing Bridgetown, uh, uh, comedy festival in 2017. And that was the last I had been there. And then I had only heard, uh, awful things about Portland after that. I just heard that Portland had fallen apart and this and that. So, and, and there was a part of me that was like very excited to go back cause I enjoyed doing comedy there. But there was another side of me that was like, I don't really want to go into a war zone. Uh, but I, f I had a great weekend of shows and I enjoyed the city. 
I will say this in defense of, of the city, but also in defense of other people. I did not do a lot. I didn't um, go anywhere. It was cold. It was rainy. I didn't have a car. I basically hung out in my hotel. Uh, I walked around a little bit. I utilized the gym. I did go on uh, local radio and on a local TV show, and I'm still trying to get the video from them. I'm going to have to keep trying because they did two really good segments that I really enjoyed. And typically, I don't like morning TV. Very boring. uh, Very unproductive. I feel like it's one of those things where the club is like, well, we want to sell the most amount of tickets possible, so let's do all the press we can. So we end up doing press that doesn't even really do anything. Now, there are some radio stations that are effective around the country, and I know I'm not everyone, but I never listen to radio. It's like if, if You know, like, let's say someone came to town in Nashville and they wanted to have them on the rock station in the morning um, because they're going to be in town that weekend. I would never hear it. That's never how I would hear about it, because um, I'm, you know, um, not listening. The best way for for me, like if you wanted to find out when I'm. Best way, I mean, you could describe prescribe, you could uh, subscribe to, I said, describe, prescribe. You could subscribe, a lot of scribes out there. You could subscribe to my uh, email, and I do send out emails usually twice a month. Uh, I want, I mean to do it every week, but I don't usually get around to doing it. But usually twice a month, and then I'll let you know where I'm going to be. Or listen to this podcast, and I'll tell you. Or the most effective is probably bands in town. Um that's bandsintown.com and you can, you know, create yourself a profile and then click on my name and other artists that you like. And then whenever I'm near your area, it'll send you a notification to let you know that I'll be there. I think it's pretty effective. Um, I like it. My website is new and up to date. It looks good now. I mean, I'm sure there's some problems with it. There always is, but it looks good. My hats are still out of stock, even though I have them. Uh, I've not found anyone. Now, oh, this reminds me. Some people had reached out to me about wanting to help me with merch. And I either ignored them all or responded in some kind of way uh, because we had something else working. And I communicated with some people and I really liked what they were offering. And then they told me how much it was going to cost. And I said, that's okay. I don't even really need to sell things online. I only sell things online is because I just want people that are fans of me to be able to purchase things if they want, right? But the way a lot of these companies operate is that, you know, I really need to be selling a ton of stuff in order to make it make sense or raise the prices. And I don't really, I don't want to raise the price. uh, And I don't want uh, to push the merch. I don't like pushing it being like, buy my stuff, buy my stuff, buy my stuff. You know, it's like, it's available if you want to buy it. The problem with the hats is if I do put the hat, like let's say I put 75 hats online, in two weeks, all those hats are gone. So I'm making trips to the post office and with hats, I have to ship in boxes. So I'm shipping out 75 boxes at the post office. Uh, So, and then I ordered like, uh, um, uh, I forget what it was that I ordered, something, 
people are always like, oh, you should use stamps.com. That's it. And I ordered it. I ordered a printer and a scale and all that. And I'm like, what do I work at the post office now? Um, you know, I was like, I don't want to be printing labels at the house to shipping labels and weighing and measuring boxes. I'm trying to, I mean, I guess they would all weigh the same, but, and I would get it down pretty easy, but I don't want to do that. Uh, so if there is anyone still uh, looking to offer some services to me, I will hear your proposals. And I'd like to give a shout out to uh, Dusty's and my family who live in various areas of the country. We invite you to move to Nashville and um, accept medium to low pay to become Dusty's assistant <laughs> so that you can mail these boxes out for us. I'm talking to our family in Alabama. I'm talking to some family that maybe live in Tennessee. Come on up, move to, to Hermitage. You know, I'll cook you some cookies and bake you some muffins, make it worth your while, give you some 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 beverages. But we just need a family member to come on over to our side of the world and just mail these things in the post office. That is what I need, is some family member to just come over and just do it. And I'll pay you some money, but like, don't look at it as a job. Look at it as a hobby that you make a little money. Like you just love the post office. We could also up their pay because maybe they can be making post office runs, but also cutting the grass, taking out the trash. Yeah. I mean, we are in the process of uh, trying to get some family to move here uh, and that would be great. So we're working on my mom's moving to Tennessee soon, but she's still not even that close. Still two and a half hours away. Yeah, we need like a nephew who's a teenager who doesn't have any work experience to just come and live with us. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, I only have one of those nephews. Yeah, we're talking to you, Bill. And uh, I don't think they listen to the podcast. All right. We're talking so, to you, Kevin. Uh, so, so uh, but yes, that is what we're looking for. And uh, uh, so I have hats. They're just out of stock. I've tempted to even just take them off the website uh, because why do I even have them up there? Um, but, you know, we'll get it sorted out. If you are interested in helping, I appreciate it. Um, and then, oh, so back to Portland, though. Back to Portland. So I had a great time. The morning TV that I did was really great. Uh, they just, they just did a good job and, uh, and, and they had like, they had researched me on Instagram and they had pictures of the family and, uh, just all kinds of questions. And it was really great. I'd love to have that segment to post on, on YouTube. Um, and then the shows at Helium were just phenomenal. And then I went to a restaurant. I, I feel like I butchered it every time, but I don't speak, uh, Thai whatever, whatever the language would be. It's just like, you know, when you go to a Mexican restaurant and somebody like you're with really knows how to pronounce the things, it's like, all right, take it easy. You know, um, I feel like I've even lost the picture that I took of this. Oh, here it is. It's called Nong's Kao Mang Gai. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. I had chicken over rice, a very simple dish, but chicken over rice. I mean, the guy I was with, uh, a friend named Dustin, uh, Dustin used to live in Charleston and he lives in Portland now. And we, he hired me to bellhop. I was working at the Planners Inn in, in uh, Charleston for a little while. This was, I was still selling pesticides, uh, but was on the verge of quitting drinking 
on the verge of, I was probably a year away from quitting drinking and uh, quitting that job. So you're at rock bottom. Uh, yeah, potentially. Um, yeah, I mean, potentially, but I don't know. I was still feeling pretty good. But my, I was rooming with a guy named Nick, and Nick started working at the Planners Inn, and he was telling me how much money he was making during the week. And I just thought, well, that seems awesome. And me and Nick were talking about moving to L.A. together. So, no, not quite at rock bottom yet because me and Nick were talking about moving to L.A. together in 2011. So this was probably 2010. This was probably two years before I quit drinking. And he was telling me how much money he was making at the Planners Inn bell hopping. Now, the Planners Inn is a very nice hotel uh, located next to this really great restaurant and he was just telling me how much money he was making. And I had a restaurant mentality to where I was thinking, if he's making that much money during the week, how much could I make on the weekends? And I just thought, well, I got free time on the weekends. So I'll pick up a few shifts, bell hopping at this uh, restaurant. I was working full time and then I was going to bell hop on the weekends. But my mentality was all wrong because I. I was not getting the shifts when people were checking in and checking out. And that's where all the money is made. I did get an opportunity to drive some very nice cars because I had to park the cars and they were very fancy cars. And I was like, this is great. Um, but I just, I only worked the job for about six weeks because I was like, I'm actually wasting my time here and I'm going to go ahead and quit. Why wouldn't you just ask for better shifts? Well, because I worked during the week. Okay. Those were the only shifts I had available. Mm -hmm. Now, I did make some good money. And also, we'd all have to do this, um, um, you know, um, you'd have to do room service. And they would get room service from this very nice restaurant. Now, keep in mind, I'm a grown man at this point, And I have a professional job where I am the boss. I always make fun of my job selling pesticides. But you know, it was a good paying job for me at the time, especially with no college. And I was the boss. I mean, I made my own schedule. I obviously I had a boss, but I was the boss of my area. So I'm going to work at this place. And now I'm in uh, doing room service. So I'm having to go into the restaurant kitchen and I'm getting yelled at by the chef uh, of the kitchen, like I'm on America's top chef or something. And this guy's yelling at me and I'm just being polite because I don't know how to handle this, but I'm like, you're not going to be yelling at me. I'm not a college kid. I'm a grown man here. And so that did not last very long. Bell I was not, don't get a lot of respect, huh? No. And I was not tolerating that guy's, uh, mess. You know what yeah. I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't having it. Well, you don't do well with really having a boss. No, I don't. And I definitely don't like being yelled at by like, I'm like, listen, dude, you're trying to do a job. I get it. I'm also trying to do a job too. I'm sorry that the fancy restaurant you work at, you also have to deal with room service, but I'm new. Okay. And I need to, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm new and I, I need you to stop yelling at me. And then, um, uh, and then also another thing that I didn't like about the job, and I'm sure it just comes with the territory of, of this kind of fancy hotel, was I had a little earpiece in. And so when a car would pull up, the people at the front desk would know who it was 
And so they would radio to me in my ear who it was, you know, and I would have to go out and I would go, welcome back, Mr. Johnson. How was your day, Mr. Johnson? And I'd have to, you know, get their bag. And I don't mind getting the bags. I never had a problem getting the bags. I'll do anything you need done physically. But I don't like this whole thing of like, oh, hello, Mr. Johnson. Welcome back to the hotel. I hope you had a good day, Mr. Johnson. I just want to talk to people like normal people. I don't want to talk to people like, you know, there's some upper level person just because I'm working at the hotel that you're staying at. And then you'd have to ride up with them in the elevator. And the front desk guys were funny and they would like to make jokes in your ear while you were riding in the elevator with these very fancy customers, um, you know, to try to make you laugh and stuff. And um, overall, it was pretty fun. I liked the people that I work with, but I just wasn't making money. And I was getting yelled at by the cook at the whatever that restaurant is. It's right next to the Planners Inn, downtown Charleston. So the fellow that got you this job, you hooked up with Dustin here now in Portland. Well, Dustin hired me, but Nick was my roommate. Yeah, and Dustin had hired me, and he... Because Nick asked, now Dustin was just telling me this, Nick had asked, could he, could he get a friend hired on? And he said, who? And then he told him it was me. And Dustin had recognized me from doing comedy around town because I was like, you know, I was small town famous in Charleston for a little while. Like a local darling. Yeah. I've been doing comedy enough around town to where everybody knew who I was. So it was a lot of fun. I mean, Charleston's its own little world that you live in there. And it's, you know, it's amazing. I was, you know, I was in the top echelon of the art community in Charleston, which was why it was quite a transition when I started working the road, because I'm out here working the road, doing uh, a different kind of gig than I was getting in Charleston. I mean, it was, you know, a matter of fact, like now moving into theaters in a way is kind of how I started in comedy. You know, I wasn't selling out theaters, but I was doing nice theaters. They had the, Charleston always had what's called the Piccolo Spoleto Festival or the Fringe Festival or stuff like that. And it would be these people that normally would go see plays were now going to see comedy. So you would be up there telling jokes and they just kind of give you smiles like they're into it, but they're not a comedy crowd. So you kind of learned to work that. So yeah, so Dustin hired me there and then he moved to L.A., and uh, I went out to visit Nick. Nick, my old roommate, had moved out to L.A., and I went to visit Nick in late 2011 because I was considering moving to L.A. with Nick. We were really talking about it. We were working it up, so I go out and visit him, and he's living in Hollywood, working at Amoeba Records. So, you know, my first trip to L.A., and I'm, you know, kind of walking around, Hollywood and going to Amoeba Records. I remember I bought a Tom Waits album in there, uh, Rain Dogs, which I really listened to a lot and love that album. And um, me and Nick, Nick is DJing in LA and his old roommate, Matt, um, and he's DJing out there. So I go to a couple of DJ gigs with them over the weekend, uh, just kind of hang out. I remember going to a bar called Rosé, And they had bottles of rosé all over the wall. All the walls were made up of shelves. And it was just covered with bottles of rosé. 
and I was still drinking at the time. So I was just drinking and Matt was DJing. And I remember I started talking to this guy at the bar and this guy told me that he had a group of friends that decided one weekend, they just decided one weekend, they were all just going to do heroin for the weekend. They were just going to do it for the weekend and then, and then not do it anymore. And he said it wrecked most of their lives. <laughs> I mean, that's about the most L.A. thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and by that, I mean just stupid. And uh, I remember that conversation with that guy. Overall, uh, I had a decently fun time in L.A. I went out, I did a uh, gig in North Hollywood. I did comedy. And I remember posting that on YouTube for a while. I was really fat. Uh, my, uh, I was so puffy. My, uh, I had no beard. I don't know if I had a beard or not, but I was, my hair was slicked back and I just was really overweight. Now this, this trip was rock bottom because by this point I quit drinking for a month and then went to LA and had no intentions of drinking, but almost right away in LA, I started drinking again. So I was like on the cusp of like, quitting drinking. I was pretty rock bottom. I remember doing comedy, uh, in LA and North Hollywood. And that ended up being a pretty good show. I got set up with some other people to put me on that show. And then one night we found ourselves in a bar that were, that was doing an open mic. And, uh, I asked the guy, can I go up? And he goes, uh, he goes, Oh no, it's already full. And I, I said something, I was drunk and I had some attitude and he's like, you think you could do better than this guy? And I was like, well, yeah, I think I could do better than this guy. And he was like, you don't just come out to L.A. like this with this kind of attitude, thinking you're better than people or whatever. And I just remember that argument with him. And I was like, okay, but, but, and he didn't let me go up. <laughs> but. Yeah, he's right. No, he is right. Yeah. I didn't say he was wrong, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I was, I was just drunk and, you yeah. know, but I was better than that guy though. I would have, yeah. I would have did great. I don't doubt it. Yeah. I don't doubt it. Yeah. But. Screw that guy. Yeah. But he should have let me on. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, if you if you're if the show's bombing and it was, and a guy comes up and a guy's all cocky and he says, "I'm better than this guy," you should just put him up just to prove that he's wrong. Yeah, but I bet there's a lot of people who like think this is the attitude I'm gonna have in L.A. It's like, I dare you to not book me. I'm I'm the next. You know, Emilio Estevez well, here. You for, better. And then it's just like there's probably just millions of these arrogant weasels running around Hollywood right now. Well, for sure. And I think uh, God saved me, right? Because I was planning on moving to L.A. towards the end of, of 2011. And me and Nick were working on it. I mean, Nick was in the process of searching for apartments for us. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was really about to happen. And then, and then I quit drinking. Did you feel seduced by LA that first trip? A little bit. Yeah. Uh, a little bit, but also, yeah, because my friend, uh, Sam Yakel was also out there at the same time as me. We didn't plan the trip together, but he was out there together. And I remember I went to see some improv shows. I went to, um, uh, there was a guy named Miles Stroth and Miles came to Charleston and taught a deconstruction. And I really liked him. He taught an improv deconstruction and I took his classes and I really liked him. And I think he really liked me. Um, and so I reached out to him and asked him to hook, you know, tell me some, 
good spots to see improv or improv and he recommended a couple of places and the one that i saw i couldn't tell you what they were but they were in hollywood and the one that i saw it was four people they did they basically each played two characters and it was an hour show and it was amazing. I was like, wow, this is a very entertaining show. And then I went to see Nick's girlfriend do improv. And it was one of the worst improv shows I've ever seen. Um, it was absolutely horrible. God bless improv. Yeah. And so it's like, that's the extremes with improv. And then I went to uh, see um, what's the um, what's the sketch comedy one that... Um, Will Ferrell did Groundlings. I went to see a sketch comedy show at the Groundlings, and it was amazing. And then me and Sam um, went with uh, another girl that we knew from Charleston who was living in L.A. We went to see, I don't, I think it was the founder of the Groundlings and another guy who played guitar, and they just told stories for an hour and sang songs, and it was really great. And he talked about, you know, Pee Wee Herman being born right here on the stage. And it was all really amazing. It was just such a great trip, despite how just drunk I was and what a mess I was. I mean, me and Sam were doing day drinking at some weird heavy metal bar on the Strip in L.A. And I was just like, I was loving it. I mean, I've always been a Charles Bukowski fan. So I just, you know, as a drinker, I just pictured myself as this prolific writer, uh, even though I wasn't even writing a lot, but a prolific writer and thinker just drinking down on the bar and, and on the strip in LA. In the middle of the daytime, you walk into some dark, dingy, heavy metal bar with punk rocker chicks uh, bartending. And it was just great. I mean, I loved, you know, just throwing around that I was, you know, from Alabama and it just was fun. I just thought, I'm in L.A., and this Alabama guys must be a real anomaly out here. Well, if you had stayed a little longer, you could have done heroin for a week. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I remember going to a restaurant with Sam, and I go, Sam's from Iowa, and I go, he's from Iowa. You got any corn he can eat? <laughs> and, and Sam goes, he's from Alabama. You got a cousin he could? And uh, it was really fun. I censored myself, obviously. but uh, You know, is that what kind of would happen to you when you were a young fella? Like you would be defensive about being from the South, given, you know, what probably people would, you think people are thinking or saying about you. So you come in hot with it, like you're proud of it to overcompensate. Uh, I don't even know. I mean, I guess I was defensive. I mean, I'm still defensive about the South. So I guess. But uh, but I was also proud. I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm unique to this environment oh, is, yeah. is what I was thinking. I get that. That's how I feel as a Canadian sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, I'm putting it out there. I'm like, yeah. it's just fun. I mean, we, you know, us, us Southerners, country people, mm -hmm. you know, we're proud of where we came from and we like to let people know. And, uh, and, uh, you know, that way any, I guess it is a defensiveness too. any mistakes we make. We're like, Hey, we're not, I'm not from around here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm not from around this area. Right. So one night, uh, me and Nick go to the Roosevelt Hotel in Hollywood, and there's a there's a um, hooker there. No, there's a uh, out by the pool at the Hotel Roosevelt pool. There is a DJ playing, and Nick knows the DJ, so we're able to get into this you know kind of party that we wouldn't have been able to get into otherwise. And he also got Dustin in, just full circle here with Dustin. Uh, so Dustin shows up with someone 
and me and Nick and Dustin are all, you know, just partying at the thing. And Dustin goes and buys us like a round of canned Heineken's. So we're drinking, and I thought, well, that was very nice of Dustin to buy us around. And I think there was four, maybe five of us. So then I go, well, I'll buy the next round. So I go, and I buy a round of Heineken's for like five people, and it was like $50, maybe $70. It was some astronomical amount that I was like, oh, man, I wish I had not bought a round of drinks. Now, I was fine. I was financially, I could handle it, but it was not a comfortable handle. Mm -hmm. I was like, geez, that blows the budget. (laughs) And uh, so I got, I got more time to be out here. Um, But it was just fun. And I saw Dustin there and then I've seen him one time since then, but I just, it's just, it's honestly, when I told the joke, I tell a joke on stage now where I say, I'm the type of drinker that you could uh, make eye contact with me at some point in the night, look deep into my eyes and know that I couldn't see you. And, uh, and I, Dustin came to my show on Thursday night and he said, I, and I, while we were eating at uh, this uh, Thai restaurant, he said, uh, I, I, I said something to him about that joke and he goes, oh, I remember he goes, I've seen you a couple of times out, out doing comedy because uh, we used to do uh, op- open mic at the upper deck, which it would get really wild in there because I was drinking and I wasn't being paid to host the open mic, but they would give me free drinks all night. So I would just tear through it in there. I would do shots in between comics. By the end of that open mic, it was wild sometimes. Now, it was a blast. People had a lot of fun. They loved coming to that open mic, but it would be completely out of control. Evan Burke said he came, like Evan's first time doing comedy. Evan was 18, uh, wasn't even allowed to be in the bar, just got in there somehow. He always looked a little older. He got in there. I put him on stage. And then I disappeared. I went outside. I was probably out front smoking. I was back in the back doing a book. Evan said his very first time on stage, he did 20 minutes because he was (laughs) like, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, You were a professional partier. Yeah. And it was a lot of fun, Uh, but it ran its course. Uh, It did run its course. Uh, But um, so... That's a lot. I said a lot to just. I like to think about you as that kind of man about town partying and holding it down and being that connector of peoples and and maybe some lonely and sad and people going through breakups say, you know, I need to I need to shake this off for the week. I'm going to call Dusty and just lose my soul for a week or two or in, in alcohol. Yeah, I mean, well, that's pretty accurate, that's I think. a good friend. Yeah, I mean, people would, if they wanted to party. Yeah. They, and also, like... Because I feel like you would keep things light. Now, maybe you start yelling later on in the night, but I feel like you'd just be the kind of guy that just keeps things fun and light, listening to music and just, you know, just shooting the breeze. Well, that's absolutely right. For the most part, that was the case. I feel like the, the stories that get highlighted, the stories that you remember and you talk about are the bad ones where things go awry and you're like yelling at people and you wreck your car or whatever. But yeah, I mean, there were many nights where we're just, I mean, I remember I picked up this guy. Now I knew him from around downtown, but I was, I was in traffic one night. I was drunk and he saw me and he was like, Oh, I'm going to this side of town or whatever. And I was like, get in. 
<laughs> and we're going down King Street in Charleston, and we're I'm listening to Kiss. I was made for loving you, baby. You were made for loving me. And it had a whip sound in it. I was me. And we were just like, and it's just like such a jam. And we're just got the windows down, just blaring music, just jamming. That's what I like to do. I love to roll the windows down in the car, smoke cigarettes, be drunk, just driving, arm out the window. I remember I picked up these girls one night uh, downtown. I wasn't even, I was just going to my car. I started talking to them and they're like, I was like, you guys need a ride? And they were like, they were all drunk too. And they were like, um, uh, you know, they were like, we're going to this hotel or whatever. And I was like, I'll give you a ride. And they got in and they said they were all teachers. And I played the David Lee Roth Van Halen song, uh, hot for the teacher, you know, and that's a real jam. <laughs> and we, we played that all the way across, just jamming it. And then I just dropped them off. I mean, I'm just, I love a cool guy around town. I used to pick up hitchhikers all the time in, in oh, downtown really? Charlotte, like, like, you know, normal looking people, but yeah, they, remember, they would just be, um, you know, walking and I'd pick them up and Would take you a, feel like you were some kind of kindred spirit to these wild souls? Yeah, usually. Mm-hmm. And Would you pick up a hitchhiker now? Uh, I don't think so. Now I got a family now and I'm not drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was just like, um, I mean, then more than ever, you were having a good time. Yes. Yes, exactly. I mean, you know, it's like I, you know, back in the day I worked, you know, especially in the winter time or, you know, because I would be doing, when I when I was a, pe- a part-time pesticide salesman, I would be, um, you know, I would be working during the spring and early summer. That's where I would be working selling pesticides. And then in the winter, I would just be waiting tables. Now, um, for a while, I only worked four days a week selling pesticides. I would do about... 25 to 30 hours a week with Stu, my old boss, the old football player boss that I liked. So I would do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then Friday, I would work Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I would work Spectracide or I would work at Hyman's running food. For a long time, I worked seven days a week. Um, but then I would start, I started waiting tables. So on Friday, we'd get off around four and we'd go to happy hour. So we'd hit happy hour. We'd go to a place called the Noisy Oyster. They had the, it was on the corner of East Bay and uh, Market Street. And they had the, they would have the windows up. So it was just open air and they would have happy hour specials where you could get, you know, wings. You could get like 10 wings for, I don't know, two bucks, shrimp for two bucks, um, uh, oysters for two bucks. I could be off on these prices, but they were very cheap. And then you would get, so we'd have shrimp cocktail, oysters, hot wings, and then you get these tall Bud Lights. And then we would do, you know, tequila shots. I remember pouring tequila in the oyster shell. No, vodka, pouring vodka in the oyster shell, mixing it up in there with a little cocktail sauce, shooting it off the shell. I mean, and then, you know, we do all that and then we get in the car and drive home. Now, for a while, I lived downtown in the beginning, so I would just bike at home. And it was always a lot of fun to bike amongst all these tourists, just be really drunk trying to bike at home amongst a bunch of tourists out there. It was great. And then I would go back to the Sergeant Jasper where I lived and I'd go into the little convenience store attached to the Sergeant Jasper and I would sit out on the porch and smoke a black and mild and harass other people that stayed there. I had a little crew of people uh, that stayed there 
that I was friends with. One guy, um, he, he had a girlfriend. His name was Jonathan. He had a girlfriend at the time. And his girlfriend was okay attractive. But I remember her like, I remember her like trying to give me some dating advice one time. And he was like, she should know because she's a woman. And I was like, I'm thinking, yeah, but not really the kind of woman I'm looking for. You know what I mean? <laughs> Irrelevant. Yeah. But they uh, broke up and then he got real sad. And I remember going up to his apartment one time and he was showing me Radiohead. And uh, we sat up there and listened to Radiohead and smoked uh, hand-rolled cigarettes. And that was a lot of fun. Uh, these are beautiful vignettes of Americana. <laughs> Yeah, and there was a girl that lived in the apartment complex from Boston, and I'd never, and now keep in mind, when I'm living at Sergeant Jasper, I'm not long left Alabama, so everything is amazing to me. Well, you're in South Carolina, dude. Yeah. You know, you're still kind of in Alabama. No, 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 I'm, but Charleston is a different place. I didn't move to. I understand that, but you're still, no, don't, you're in South Carolina. Don't try to belittle it. I, I, I'm yeah. in South Carolina, but you don't understand. So you're speaking in a way that you don't really understand. Well, See, that's fine. See, South Carolina is different from Charleston. Now, Charleston's in South Carolina, but it is different. Okay. Uh, we're not in, in, in small town South Carolina. Right, it's old money. So I'm meeting people from all over the country here. There's a uh, the girl from Boston. The accent was just, it was like, I just had never heard anything like that in real life. Uh, there was a guy from South Africa there. And he uh, found out I was doing stand-up comedy, and he gave me some Bill Hicks CDs. I had never heard of Bill Hicks, and he turned me on to Bill Hicks. So I was driving around listening to this, learning a lot. Um, and, and then Jonathan gave me a bunch of Radiohead CDs. Um, Feeling and, a lot. Yeah, I mean, it was just such a great, like, the store connected to Sergeant Jasper reminded me of the movie Clerks. It was just that kind of vibe in there, that kind of convenience store. And it was fun. I used to go there and get black and milds and beer, and we'd just sit out on the little porch out there and just drink. Uh, and I used, I yelled at a bunch of people in there. I mean, I, I remember yelling at a security guard one night uh, for, um, I don't know what he did, but I, I don't know. It was a mess. And that one security guard... Became my friend though, and he took me and some other people up on the roof of the of the Sergeant Jasper, which is about I don't know, it's about a twelve story building. So going up on the roof was a really big deal. Yeah, especially in Charleston because there's not a lot of high rises. Yeah, so that was a lot of fun. And one time, me and that security guard were at a party inside uh, the Sergeant Jasper, and he got a call to his work phone. And it was a noise complaint about the party that he was at. <laughs> was he on duty? Yeah. Oh, That's America. He was just partying with us. Um, yeah, one, there was a girl security guard that worked there for a little while. And she came up to my apartment and got high with me one time while she was on duty. That's what I'm saying. You're the guy that people are like, <laughs> we can just kind of slip in and out and... Be a little shady, but also be mostly fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had a lot of fun there. It was great. Um, actually, one of the guys that used to be a manager at Sergeant Jasper, I just saw. He was a manager at Sergeant Jasper, and then later a manager at another apartment complex I lived at in Charleston. He came to my show in Florida not long ago. Well, I reckon two things. 
that there's got to be a subset of people who are just amazed that this party animal dude from their 20s has become a semi-popular comedian. And then there's also got to be a subset. I'm pretty popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just like to say semi. I know, I know. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's got to be another subset of people who... um, who you told off and got in fights with or, you know, became, you know, people that didn't like you who are real annoyed and that are like, Oh, this guy. And then when you pop up in their feed, they're like, Oh, I've already muted him. I've uh, not probably interested. There's gotta be some real people yeah. out there that are like, Oh, that SOB. And there's a, those are the ones thumbs downing my videos yeah, on YouTube. <laughs> you know what? I believe it. Cause sometimes yeah. when you show me negative comments, from people i'm like this seems personal this yeah. just, this doesn't <laughs> seem like an anonymous random person this seems like someone that is like finding all of your videos and and trying to really write something uh hurtful yeah you know people used to do that to me all the time i remember there was a guy that i tried to write this guy asked me when i still lived in charleston he asked me would i help him write jokes and i said sure and i got together with him we wrote a bunch of jokes and then, I don't know, he's bombing with those jokes, but he's bombing with his old jokes too. I, I didn't guarantee him success, but I said I would try to help him. And then I see him on stage one night, and he's like, uh, people are always telling me to write clean. They're always telling me I should be clean. People telling me to be clean. They're not on the Tonight Show, you know? And it's like, I feel like that was really a, a swipe at me because I think I'm the only one that was telling him to be clean at that time. And he was like, and he's not on the Tonight Show. So I wonder how that makes him feel now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People are just rude to me for no reason in the comedy scene. If they, they wanted my help and I would try to help them, and then they would resent the help. There, there are several people. There were th- three girls that moved to Chicago. Actually, I don't think one of them really had a problem with me, but they were all buddies. And the other two just seemed to really develop this real problem with me. Uh, the one girl... Um, Michelle was her name. And we were on one time, we, there was supposed to be this three on three improv tournament. It's the trophy I have right over there. First place trophy, 2012. Um, and um, me and, and uh, another girl named Jenny Pringle, we had a team with another guy. It was, we were the three on three tournament. And then that guy, for whatever reason, didn't show up. So we didn't have our third person. So Michelle, who was very new at improv, we never expected to win. So we were just like, hey, Michelle, will you be our partner? We just wanted to be in the thing. And then, and it was two rounds. And me and Michelle and Jenny ended up winning the whole thing. We were first place. And at that time, Brandy, who uh, is one of the co- co-founders of the Have Nots and Theater 99, uh, had never been beaten in the three-on-three tournament. We were the first team to beat her. Now, Brandy's the best, uh, so I'm not trying to take a take, uh, digs at Brandy, but she had not been beaten up until that point, and we beat her. And and so next year, I assume that me and Michelle and Jenny are going to, you know, come back together as a team and, and, and uh, um, you know, and defend our title. And they both went and got on other teams. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, well, a, re- a year really changes things, huh? Mm-hmm. But anyway, Jenny, I'm fine with. We're still friends. Her brother actually is on that show. Um, um, what's the Charleston reality show? Um, Southern Charm. Southern Charm, yeah. Her brother, I think, is on that show a little bit. Okay. Um, 
but yeah, that's why Charleston is a different place than the rest of South Carolina. Now, to your point, one time I came down and I visited some relatives in Alabama and one of my, and I'd been in Charleston for a few years. And one of my relatives said, she goes, you don't, you don't picked up that Yankee accent. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, I'm in South Carolina, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, there, there is some truth to what you say about, it. I'm still in South Carolina, but. Yeah. I mean, so uh, Charleston is arguably one of the oldest cities in the South. Well, it's one of the oldest cities in the country. Right. So so that's why I'm saying that it is a different place than just the rest of South Carolina. Yeah, but it's still southern through and through. Still southern, but but I'm also, what I'm saying is it's a hub now. So yeah, I'm meeting but, people from know, different walks yeah, of life. It's a college town. It's university. It's, it's hoity-toity. It's got, it's got its class warfare. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, I loved it, but, um, I don't even, uh, know how I got on that tangent, but, um, well, you were really just talking about Dustin about oh, okay. 30 minutes ago well, and then Dustin, we got into it. Dustin said he had, he had come to see me at the upper deck before. So he remembers that time. Um, but Michelle and, and another girl, Sarah, they just really got mad at me. I was running the open mic at big gun and they were doing stand up. I was trying to help them and I, I and I, I don't know, maybe I had unsolicited advice sometimes, but for the most part, we had a tight-knit community where we just tried to help each other out all the time. It was really this thing of trying to work with each other. And then they just decided they were going to quit stand-up and focus on improv, right? And I'm like, fine, you know, I'm not mad at you for doing that. But then they would still come to the open mic, and then they would sit in the back and just be real loud and disruptive. And I would just be very nice to them, and I'd be like, hey, you know, we're just trying to do a show here. And then everybody started to act like, cause for a while at big gun, I had this real thing going where from the hours of 1030 to 1230, while we were doing this show, people were pretty respectful. People came in, they sat, they listened and we had a really good show. And then people started as the show started to lose control and I would try to rein it back in. People are like, Hey, it's a bar show, man. You just gonna have to deal with stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, I get it, but we weren't dealing with it before. Before we had a good show, and everybody's like, oh, you got to choose, man. You're going to have a show or you're going to have a bar show or you're going to have an open mic because it's going to be rowdy. Even the guy that asked me, who, who ran Big Gun, who asked me to host the show, uh, who owned Big Gun, asked me to host the show, he... Even he, towards the end, started to be like that. Well, maybe let's not argue with the, the clientele so much about this. And I'm like, I get it, but I'm like... I'm just trying to put on a show. We had a really good bartender named Colin and Colin would, would be the only employee there that night. And he was really good about telling people to shut up and listen to the show. And then when Colin left, the whole thing fell apart because no one was telling people to shut up anymore. So we didn't have the, the bar authority. And then, so everybody involved in making money with big gun was like, well, it's packed out. I don't care if they're listening to the show or not. But I brought that crowd. I, I think I gave, I mean, I brought all the Hyman's people to Big Gun to watch stand up. And then they found out about Big Gun through that and then started going to Big Gun's karaoke night. I think I brought Big Gun half their business. I see both sides. Because I do think like, you know, there is an element of like when you are in certain environments, wild bar shows, like it is just going to be what it is. And the, the harder you fight against it, the 
you know, the more you're backing yourself into a corner. Well, I agree to an extent if, if I'm alone in the fight. But when I had Colin, who was also in the fight with me, it was working fine. So all I needed was someone to back me up. Yeah. But especially if it was already packed, then the owners just wouldn't want you but it uh, was, yelling at the but patrons. It, but that's what I'm saying, though. By his standpoint, well, it's already packed. But it wasn't packed before I started doing the show I and I started you. bringing the people. So I started bringing the people. So then other people would walk by and go, oh, there's a bunch of people here. This is a party. And then they would join in and they would ruin the comedy. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you know, things only have a lifespan for, yeah. for as long as they have. But, you know, I did a lot of work on that. I, at one point, I had a guy, T-Mike, was helping me host this. I built a stage. We, I built a stage that I could bring in. So I kept the stage out back of the bar, and then I would carry it in at night and put the stage down in the corner. I had rigged up a light in the ceiling. So we would plug the light up. T-Mike would bring in his speakers. He would DJ. We had intro music for every comic. And it was like, it was an electric show for a while. I mean, it was really great. And, um, but, you know, it had a, had a lifespan mm -hmm. and it's over. So we've had a lot of success uh, with podcast clips talking about Toby Keith on, <laughs> on TikTok. I don't know what's happening, but... I don't dislike Toby Keith, but somehow me talking about Toby Keith has really lit a fire in people, and they really want, they really like making fun of Toby Keith for some reason. Hmm. But it's really gotten me a lot of views. But I hear Toby Keith is very sick. Someone said that that he maybe has uh, uh, lung cancer or liver cancer or something like that. Goodness. And it's too bad. I didn't look it up, but a lot of people seem to suggest that Toby Keith's not a very nice person in real life, and I don't know. But my mom uh, met, we saw Toby Keith at uh, Dollywood way back in the day, and my, or maybe Opryland here in Nashville. Um, and my mom went to, my mom was a member of the Toby Keith fan club and went to meet him. Oh, you know what? I want to finish. Uh, I know that we've gone such a route, but. Uh, so this will seem funny, but I had a great time in Portland. There was five shows that were really good. We sold out a few and the others that we didn't sell out were packed and the audiences were fantastic. The people were amazing. They brought me gifts. They were really great. And then the next day I drove out to Corvallis, Oregon, a place that I had never been before. And I did two shows there at a theater called the Majestic Theater in Corvallis. And we sold out both of them. And I heard them say, that they, they bring up a lot of comics from L.A. And, I you know, I'm sure they're not getting the, you know, the higher echelon of comedians. But they bring a lot of comics from L.A. And they said they had never done two shows. So they never had enough. Like the show that we booked sold out almost immediately. So they added a second show and then it sold out. So we sold out two shows in Corvallis uh, with Alec Parent. And uh, those shows were really great. I got some cool pictures with some people, a, a, a group of people all dressed in NASCAR T-shirts and airbrushed hats with their name on it. And they brought me a, uh, a shirt, a Dick Trickle racing shirt, which I'm a big fan of. I never, I wasn't a huge fan of Dick Trickle. I don't really know anything about him. I remember him, but the name is the funniest name 
I've ever heard. It sure is. I mean, dick trickle. I used to do a few dick trickle jokes. You hear that name and you want to know more. Yeah. And uh, so those shows in Corvallis are really great. I mean, I, I loved it. And But that night, I'm walking home. Corvallis is a pretty... Uh, it was kind of a happening city during the day, but had very small town vibe. And it's all along this river. There's a river. So I'm walking on a street that kind of goes parallel to a river. But the street, and then there's buildings, and then the river. And that night, I'm walking home after the show, and it just seemed scary out there. Like, it wasn't scary like sketchy, like I felt like I would be robbed. It was sketchy like it felt haunted in a way out there. And I was like... You know, I didn't get scared, but I was kind of like, it is like a ghost town out here, and it feels dark. And then because this place was about an hour and a half from Portland, where the nearest good airport was, I had to drive back to Portland that night, and it was, it felt like a long night. The long drive, long night. Uh, the end of a long trip. And so I had, I didn't get very much sleep that night, and then I flew all the way home the next day and then I've been kind of getting caught up on sleep and now tonight I'm flying back out to California but this is a much shorter trip um but those flights those flights really take it out of you I mean they're just long long flights well you know these flights these used to be lifelong journeys for me <laughs> yeah yeah I mean that's true that's true I wanted to um read a couple of things couple of emails here. This one says, after listening to Nate Land for the second time, it was time to find a new podcast. Oh, I don't know. I didn't read that clearly. I don't, I don't know if that was a slam at Nate Land. Um, it just says, after listening to Nate Land for a second time. I don't know. May, and maybe this guy's not slamming Nate Land. He's just saying, sometimes I, I need to switch up podcasts. You know, that's what I do. I'll listen to a podcast two or three times and I'll be like, this is great. This is my new favorite podcast. And then all of a sudden I'm sick of it because I need something new. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he says, it was time to find a new podcast. I found yours. I just wanted to give my short version on quitting drinking. I hit rock bottom in life and was drinking on weekends to numb the depression I was going through. After getting completely trashed one night, I went outside the bar to puke. I laid there and asked God to rid me of this drinking and life I was living. I have been sober for 21 years. Praise God. And I told that guy, I just said, uh, I just said shortly, that's an amazing story. Thank you for sharing that. And he said, you can share it on the podcast. A little more to the story. I couldn't get a date for three years, mainly because I was looking for a good girl in a bar. This led to most of the depression. The night I quit drinking was the initial setup of me getting saved. I went to church the next week, met a very pretty lady. We dated 11 months and now celebrate 20 years of marriage this year. Mm, that's sweet. That's amazing, you know. Yeah. And that's interesting because, you know, I think that was a lot of what I was going through, especially, well, I don't know, all along the way because I was always – um you know, Christian, right? So I moved to Charleston with the quest to, you know, uh, be a better Christian. I mean, that very, I moved there on like a Thursday and that Sunday I went to church. Ashley River Baptist Church is where I went. That Sunday morning I went to church and then that Sunday night I went back to church. 
I mean, I was all about being a part of church. I was reading my Bible. I was doing all these things, and life was good. And this was 2003. And, uh, you know, but I slowly started to get involved with drinking and partying and that sort of stuff. And that just took me on a long journey, but I stayed involved in churches all along the way. But, you know, I would be looking for some type of, you know, religious girl, some type of girl that went to church, but also wanted to get wasted at 4 p.m., you know, which just did not really exist. Um, that I found. So um, I think this is a great story. I mean, it's like, you know, you just, I'm just reading, I was reading a little bit, uh, you know, just about, uh, you know, the, the Israelites coming out of Egypt into the desert and with their promise to get into the promised land. God promised them a land of milk and honey. All they had to do was like get their act together and do what God asked of them. And they wandered the, the, the desert for 40 years until they died. And the, the original Israelites that came out of Egypt never got to go into the promised land. It was all their children that went in there. So they wandered around until they had kids and died and their children reached an age to fight in a war. And they are the ones that went into the promised land. I just think that's amazing. Yeah. I also had an argument over email with a guy about who was telling me that it's biblical for me to be involved in a church. And I disagree. I do think it's good to be around like-minded people. I think it's better for us. It would be better for me if I were involved in a church and better for my walk with God. I do believe that because I would find a community of like-minded individuals. The problem is uh, all the churches that I found do not believe the way I believe. In fact, they believe so differently than me that uh, at times it's not, it's as it's if we don't even have the same religion. I mean, it's like, sure, we all have, you know, we both have Jesus as our Lord and Savior in common, but, you know, we celebrate different holidays, we eat different foods, we, we live different ways. Um, so it's hard for me to find that kind of church and community that, really, that I really want. Now, I'm not judging people who do it the way they do it. That's fine. Do whatever you want to do. Uh, I'm trying to share a different perspective on this podcast, but it is hard for me to get involved in a church when we're that fundamentally off from the very beginning. Um, but then I kind of talked about some holidays with him and some, and some um, f- dietary things, which I thought was well worded, and uh, we went back and forth. Now we ended on we ended on peace, but um, I wish I had one of these I sent, um, um, that I I really liked, um, but I may not be able to. I may not be able to find it because it was, it's too tucked away in there. We, we went on and on. I had just got to Portland that day. And, but anyway, the, the, he couldn't prove that it was biblical for uh, you to have to be in church. Now, I welcome that. I welcome any of these. Anybody that wants to challenge me on the things that I believe, I welcome it. But I, I, I just ask that you send uh, Bible verses to back up what you're saying. 
because this guy did send some Bible verses, and I'm not trying to slam him here, but he did send some, but um, there, there is no commandment that, that he sent that has me go, that says I need to, um, uh, it says I need to be involved in a church. And in fact, the only one from the Old Testament is from Proverbs. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. Um, you know, and, um, you know, I, I just, I just wonder the deeper meaning of that because that doesn't, that's not a commandment to go to church and that, you know, and the Bible calls us to be a, a called apart people and different. So, um, so I just don't think it's biblical that we have to be involved in a church. In fact, I think the way most of our churches operate now, probably not even how they operated in the beginning, which is, and it just comes from Roman Catholicism, I think, is is the way. But you've been pretty open. I mean, you've gone to church throughout your adult life. You're not opposed to church. You've always uh, uh, admitted the value and the um, enjoyment you found in churches. Uh, but as of lately, um, we haven't had a lot of luck finding a church that we felt suited us. And quite frankly, you know, I'm friends with a lot of different Christians, most of them are Baptists around these parts, and they're, you know, good friends of ours. And heck, if if not all of my closest girlfriends haven't changed churches in the last three years, it doesn't sound like people really stick with a church that I know uh, for very long. And I just, you know, I, I, I wonder if there's something to that. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, and this guy went on to, um, you know, defend his own church and say, well, where I go to church, we are, you know, God-believing people. And I, I don't doubt it, but I, I just, you know, this is my thing, right? If you're Christian and you're a Bible believer and I point out things to you in the Bible and I say, it says that we're not supposed to do this, and then you can't really prove it wrong, but yet continue to believe what you believe before, even though you can't prove it wrong biblically, I wonder where, you know, you know, what the point of that is. Like, you know, because and I know I always dwell on food, but, but it's just the, the most obvious one, the most glaring one to me is that the, the Old Testament, God spends two chapters, two entire chapters breaking down food to eat. And then the, you know, people use one verse where in a parentheses of some verses, it says in that Jesus declared all foods clean, right? Or all meats clean. But that even that it's like, well, what do you mean? The Jewish people of that time would not have considered pigs to be meat, you know, so, or they would not have considered it to be food. So when you say made it clean, would, I don't think the Jewish people left that dinner saying, great, finally we can eat pigs. Um, and Jesus sent a bunch of pigs into the ocean one time and killed them all. I don't think Jesus would have wanted to kill people's food supply if it was clean foods, you know? So, and then Peter on the rooftop is one people like to use an example, but that, that verse even interprets itself. But even the mention of it, uh, Peter who spent time with Jesus, uh, a lot of time with Jesus, uh, would have known that Jesus declared all foods clean if he had, because he, when God brought down the sheet of all the animals and said, kill and eat, and Peter said, not so, Lord, I have never eaten anything common or unclean, 
Well, well, Peter would have known that Jesus had declared all meats clean, so he would have not said that to God. So that interpretation or that that exchange would not have happened. But even in that verse, it goes on to interpret itself where I forget the guy's name, but there is a guy who's a Gentile who is going to be brought into, you know, into, you know, basically grafted into the tree. Um, and, and it says Peter knew in that moment what God meant by the vision and that these people who were not Jews and who would have been considered clean, unclean or common were now cleansed. If they, you know, if they believed in God and, and, and believed in Jesus, they were cleansed. So, so mm. that's fun. I think this has been a fun, fun uh, podcast. Delightful. Uh, Hannah's the timekeeper and has not been updating me on the time. Well, we're a little over an hour. Okay, so as I mean, your 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 producer jobs. I mean, they've gotten less and less. We've given you less and less producer jobs. Hey, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm here, bucko. <laughs> and guess what? I pressed record, and I'll be pressing stop. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, we appreciate you guys tuning in. I mean, I will be in uh, Corning this weekend, but if you've made it this far, um, I'm going to have a little time off uh, next week, and then I'm going to be uh, at Zany's on March 22nd. I'll be in Bay Harbor, Michigan on March 25th, and then I'll be back out to Denver, Colorado at Comedy Works uh, March 30th through April 1st. So that's very exciting. It's going to be a lot of fun. I appreciate you guys tuning in. We're having a good time. Thank you.